Hello and welcome to the Essential B2B podcast. I'm your host, Joe Ducaro. This episode is the audio taken from our webinar, Digital Frustration, The Thorn in a B2B Buyer's Side. I was joined by an expert panel of guests who offered up some really good insights on how to reduce digital frustration for your prospects and for your customers. And I think you're going to get a lot out of this one. Hope you enjoy it. I'm joined today by a fantastic panel of guests. We have Carol Howley, Director of Global Marketing at Canonical. Uh, we have Tom Armitage, who is Sales Exec at Sightseeker. Uh, Lila Waite is joining us from Lead Forensics. She is the Group Chief Marketing Officer. And Phil Cave is the Head of CRO at Webio. Let's jump straight in. Okay, so... What is your experience of the buying journey associated with B2B from a digital perspective? Have you experienced any frustrations yourself? And I think we'll start with you, Tom. Yeah, so I had a couple examples here. Um, I've often bought uh, B2B software, so that's probably the the best example. But I also was shopping not too long ago for HVAC system, a a new heating system. And I've suffered kind of similar issues with with some of these companies, some software and, and some HVAC companies. Um, one issue is when I reach out for information and there's a massive delay in a response from a salesperson or a customer service rep. And, and this is mind blowing to me because I work at an agency. We deal with lots of B2B companies and they salivate over leads. Like the fact that I'm, I'm standing here waving and saying, I got money, I have a need, come help me. And there's a, a two, three day delay is, is, very, very upsetting and very frustrating as a buyer. And I try to keep that in mind. I've been trying to keep that in mind um, as I kind of preach this this type of information and this type of good word to to my clients. And the second is very messy handoffs. If I meet with someone, I give them all this good information of what I'm looking for, specifically what I'm trying to, uh, what, what pain points I have and what I'm trying to solve. And then you know, the next meeting is with the next salesperson in line or whatever it is that takes place in the handoff, and I need to go through all my needs again. Clearly, they have a, a discombobulated CRM system or they're not taking proper notes or something's going on in that handoff that, that is not smooth, and that leads to a lot of frustrations. So those, are, those are two examples on my end. I have a feeling that communication in that style is going to come up quite a lot in this. Uh, <laughs> we talk about things that frustrate us. Um, Lila, let's come to you with the same question. Any frustrations personally yourself? Yeah, I think that I have to agree with with Tom, especially on that time delay. So there was a, I, I read, a, read a study recently from um, Forbes, which was um, it was published on Forbes. The in terms of B two B software, um, the average time it takes for um, a B two B company to come back to a lead is two point four days, which is crazy, right? Um, and and exactly as Tom was saying, is you know when you're inquiring about something, you have a need, right? then and there you don't want to wait half a week before someone actually um you know decides that um they want to come back to you and you don't feel valued if it takes that long either so i couldn't agree more and i I think also sometimes it can be the hoops that you have to jump through to actually get to speak to someone who can actually show you a product or a service sometimes that can be two three stages long and i get to a point where i can be fatigued in that process um just one other that I wanted to touch on was that um, I, I think we'll probably come on to this in a bit more detail, but um, the nature of um, how buyers and how I um, inquire with things has completely changed in recent years. Um, and 
So I might inquire, I actually inquire a lot via social media, for example, and the response times on social media is always horrendous. Um, and um, so that to me is, is, is a big challenge. I think that, um, you know, we have to address in, in B2B is that it's not always going to be that direct line inquiry. And we're bad at that already, um, <laughs> let alone anything else. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've all experienced that just trying to get through to speak to an actual human being rather than just typing things out forms all yeah it's a it's a big old faff isn't it phil anything to add any frustrations personally yeah i, th I think i think the big problem that we have in b2b is that we're spoiled by our experiences in our b2c lives we're spoiled yeah. by going shopping on amazon or booking.com or, or any of the really big e-commerce companies who have pumped millions and millions and millions into repeated testing and experimentation to try and find the perfect customer experience digitally and b2b just haven't followed suit they're way way behind on that front and so in our personal lives we go on to this great experience on amazon or, or anything else and then we expect to see it on every website we're on whether we're in our in the office in our professional day-to-day -day life or whether we're still at home and without that level of experience without that same level of, of sort of cx on the website it's going to be frustrating. And, and I agree with, with Lionel and Tom. I, I, there is a delay in coming back to people. But then arguably, you shouldn't have questions that aren't already answered on a website. It's just that that process hasn't been gone through. And people don't, or B2B companies are, are slow to learn as well. Again, if you take Amazon as an example, just because they're obviously so successful as an e-commerce company, they know who I am when I go on a website. They know exactly what I've bought before, what I've done, when I was last there, what I last looked at. And there's none of that on B2B. And without that sort of level of personalization coming through, it's difficult to replicate a really good customer experience. So I think it's, it's, it's kind of a combination, but it's, yeah, B2B has a lot of catching up to do. Sounds almost like you need a tool that, I don't know, lets you know exactly who's looking at your website at all times. Maybe, yeah, that would be one way. <laughs> Carol, we'll come to you then. Uh, digital frustrations, what are your personal experiences with that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I can definitely agree with all of the points raised completely. Um, I think people do just really expect that high level of personalization, as you're saying. You know, people do see a disconnect. If you reach out to them and say, you know, thanks for downloading our white paper, they're like, you should know which white paper. You know, I expect you to know what I'm looking for. I expect you to have read my problems, you know, what form I filled in. So people do expect that and I think we're definitely playing catch up we've got you know great opportunities through chatbots and through speaking to people but making sure that that information is passed through between teams is such a hard thing to do and you know that level of expectation is so high so I think that's the biggest hoops we've got to jump through in terms of b2b marketing and you know obviously improving all your on-site and funding everything it's just let down if then the buyer comes through and speaks to someone who has no idea what they want and isn't even talking about a relevant thing and I think the other thing that I really get frustrated at is not finding the information I want like I actually want to know as much as possible I think there was a, a recent survey saying that people love human interactions but they do actually want to be able to be educated and make their decision and I think it's a Gartner survey that had 44 percent of people prefer no interaction till the point they want it and they want to find what they need so it's actually making sure that you've got logical sensible amounts of information giving people what they need so that then they can you know take that decision at the point they want to I think just to, to stay with you on this point carol do you think that the um 
the B2B buyers' behaviour has changed since the pandemic. Yeah, I think definitely we've certainly seen a shift um, within the B2B buyer. I think it's forced it's forced everything digital in a massive way. I mean, we saw everything from kind of, you know, the cost of acquisition for all your paid activity just go shooting up because no one could do anything but spend money online. And um, so I think this big digital shift has been enormous, but I think it's also really here to stay. Um, we've seen massive advantages investing in kind of our on-site activity, live chat, and also video. And I think giving that experience to video, video demos, letting people kind of see and experience things real life in person has enabled the people who aren't too keen and, you know, probably a bit of all of us being a bit inhibited from not seeing people, um, you know, aren't that keen on kind of a big social interaction. So I think it's made that kind of digital journey far more important, but also made that hyper-personalization and that expectation to go through the roof because people are like, just expect that, that kind of, expect that you're collecting their data they know that you should understand their needs they're expecting this anticipated personalized experience that you understand them and i think to keep up with that is a real challenge for marketers and it's definitely here to stay and and tom how does that tying into your original point about sort of you know the frustration of communication and not being able to get through to people how has that changed post pandemic for you do you think i i think it has prompted businesses to need to react and reply even faster than, than before. I think our our urgency has really been accentuated because of the pandemic, because we've gotten so used to these online channels that you know, if they are B2C, as Phil said, they're already reacting really, really quickly. Um, so I think B2B needs to uh, get get their butt in gear and, and follow suit. You, you've seen these stats float around of, of how much research buyers do before they even make contact, right? And the number is always changing. I, I've seen stats where it's just like 57% and it's gone up to 70%. I don't really care what number it is. We know that it's a lot. We know that buyers are doing a lot of research before they make contact. And I think the pandemic has gotten people even more used to used to e-commerce with big ticket items. We've seen people buy cars. Uh, we deal with a lot of heavy equipment dealers and heavy equipment manufacturers in our space buying 100 dollars uh, worth of equipment you know through e-commerce and even people are buying houses right without sight unseen just online so i think that um this number is going to continue to grow of how much research is going into uh, the buying process before a salesperson gets involved which simply warrants the need for marketing and good marketing even more than, than before. And I think the pandemic has really uh, complemented and accentuated that. Absolutely. Okay, Lila, I'm going to come to you for the next question, if that's okay. What um, digital touch points are you focused on as a business? Um, so primarily, we're always focused on our website. Um, so if, that's, if we think of that as our, our, our prime real estate, um, we generally try and get all of our digital touch points to point back to our website. Um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know, but that's what we're doing. <laughs> um, all routes point back to our website because then we find that we can um, – you know, look at the stats, look at how we're converting on our website, look at the traffic, look at our sources, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Um, it is harder, though, because I think that just harking back to the last question that um, 
the B2B buyer journey is not as simple as it used to be. Um, I, I can't remember who, who, who said it, but the, um, you know, the, the amount of research, I think that's what you do, Tom, the amount of research that people are doing online, but also the complexity of that, not just in terms of looking at your website, but looking at social endorsements, looking at reviews, looking at forums, you know, searching around a multitude of outlets, that journey, that buying journey is not as simple anymore. And, um, it is not as easy to track. So you might actually get an interested party who has never visited your website, you know, that is in that kind of dark funnel, um, you know, in terms of, you know, B2B marketing, you know, always love a, a little term. Um, so yeah, it's in that dark funnel, that untrackable funnel. Um, so what do you do with that? And for us, our methodology is, okay, we know that this goes on, but really our single point of truth is our website. And so we try and drive as much back to that as we can. And we try to make that super informative about what we do. Um, because Carol, I exactly agree with what you were saying is that, um, you know, it's really a pain when you can't find out the information, like the number of B2B websites that I visited, I'm sure everyone's the same way. You kind of go on the landing page and you, or, the, or the homepage and you're like, I have no idea what you actually do. <laughs> um, it's full oh. of terminology. <laughs> um, and, uh, and you just can't find the information. So we try and make sure that we've got that information front and center um, and that user journey is as slick as it possibly can be. Now, I'm not saying we've nailed that, but we focus very much on our, our, our website, but then we are increasingly trying to become aware of our whole digital footprint, but the, the front and center is our website. Uh, I think what we'll do, Phil, is we'll come to you for this question because I think it very much falls in your uh, ballpark. Um, if a business is to optimise its website conversion and reduce friction, what should it be focusing on, in your opinion? Well, uh, there's not a simple answer to that. It, uh, everything it never is, is it? <laughs> no, there's not. Um, but there's what one website needs is not necessarily the same as what the next website needs. However, to pick up on, on one of the comments that Lila just made, I absolutely agree with is that you see so many companies, you just do not know what they do. And the example I always give is, is pre-pandemic days, and I'm showing my age now, where, where everything used to be done in trade shows. You used to walk around these trade shows and, and people would have spent 50, 60, 70, 100 grand on a, on a great big stand. And you look at them and you think, I have no idea what it is that you do. And it's exactly the same now in digital real estate. And that comes back to value proposition. And value proposition is not to be confused with brand proposition. They're two different things. But it's the value proposition is probably the single biggest lever of conversion rates that I've ever seen. And I've been doing CRO for over 20 years. Invariably, a way to be able to clearly say why your ideal prospects should buy from you and not one of your competitors. So someone can come to your website and in the first five seconds, they get it. You've answered their pain point. You've shown that you have the solution. Then you start to evidence that you have a pedigree of being able to provide these solutions. That's where client logos come in, testimonials, videos, all the rest of it. But if you can do that, you're halfway there. Because if you think about it, and this is something I will probably repeat several times during this webinar, but your website has to be the digital embodiment of your best salesperson. So if you imagine you're seeing your prospect, they bump into someone in a lift at a trade event, whatever, 
what does that conversation look like? How do they explain what it is that you do? How do they explain why you should be listening to them and not going to one of their 50 competitors? You need to replicate that. And the only way you can get to that information is not by being a marketer sat in our ivory towers thinking, oh, we think that's what people want, so we're going to write about it. Get on the shop floor and ask your salespeople, what is it that they're saying that sets light bulbs going in, in customers' minds? Get that on your website. Get it front and center. Start to pull people through. And yeah, you're halfway there. But that is probably the biggest lever. But it is all the way through. It is replicating that best salesperson's journey digitally. Mm. So almost trying to emulate the, the the people behind it rather than just the you know the sort of the, the corporate entity, as it were. Yeah, and and it's it's not an easy thing to do. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's easy for me to sit here and talk about it, but it's it's not an easy thing to do because what you have to really then work out is what is their ideal buying journey, and that's a really key difference because it's not how you as a business think you need to sell, it's how they want to buy, and you need to replicate that journey with the right assets, the right resources, the right copy, the right expl explanations throughout those points. And if you get that right, then, yeah, you will convert a lot more of your web traffic. You'll find a lot more good people are filling in your lead gen forms, are, are buying your products, whatever it is, you will boost your conversion rates. So just to, to loop back slightly to something Lila said, um, Carol, have you mapped out your digital infrastructure, sort of your digital footprint? And how did you start? What did you include? That sort of thing. Um, so we've not really produced kind of a, a full map, but we have looked at kind of the quantitative tools we've got, the qualitative tools that we've got, all the testing and improvement and measurement tooling to kind of see that we've got a bit of a view of are we heading in the right direction? Are we measuring the right things? Have we got the right things, you know, in place? Are we responding quickly enough? You know, I think it's um, I think you, you always used to focus on having the right tech stack to kind of drive your marketing success. And now it's kind of. I think the a balance of factors, including that tech stack, like the people, the brand storytelling, the messaging, the speed to speak to people. There's so many other elements that I think have become more and more important for us as marketers. And it's kind of your technology architecture do, does drive those results and that mapping of it. But it needs to be kind of matched with you know, measuring the right things, getting the right people, telling the right stories, having people talking to you know people in the right way and you know skilled in your products and and telling those stories as you said phil is it's just so important and fundamental to to being the right thing to do so a lot of things to juggle isn't it rather than sort of which <laughs> yeah. maybe isn't fair so you know sort of cherry picking bits and pieces that you know where you find it would be most effective i guess um tom any any thoughts on that one mapping up your digital infrastructure do you focus on one key strategy or do you you know, cherry pick which bits to optimize them. Yeah, I think we look at it holistically for a lot of our clients. I think I think the tech stack and the digital touch points oftentimes go hand in hand, right? You have you have your social channels, you have Google My Business if you're a local company, obviously you have your website, which we'll continue to talk about quite a bit. But if you're talking a live chat software, if you're talking um, Yaks and local listings management, if you're talking marketing automation and, and, and form building tools, they, they go hand in hand, that tech stack and, and what you choose to, to use for your software, I think creates or allows you to manage those digital touch points. And then that raises the, the question of the challenge with 
integrations. And, and that becomes a, a huge hurdle that a lot of companies um, need to, to solve because if all of these are siloed, it makes customer service and response time much more cumbersome and it makes measurement much more difficult, if not impossible, on some of those channels if you're not bringing it into one unified source of truth platform or dashboard where you're able to easily look at it, digest it, make decisions and draw you know, uh, decisions from that data. And integrations can be difficult to do and very costly if you don't select the right technologies that integrate with one another. So that opens up the doors for a, a whole new conversation here, and, and that's integrations. Lila, you're, you're nodding an awful lot. Have you got much to say on integrations that Tom was mentioning there? Or? Well, I mean, I think the whole thing is vast. And the number of times I've been like, holy moly, I don't know how to integrate this tech stack together. I just don't know how to start. Um, and I think that it's getting more complicated. And I think, I think you're right, the tech stack and uh, the digital landscape kind of go hand in hand. But also, as we, st we, we started to map our um landscape um but when you start it's like you lift the lid and there's like this bigger pool that you didn't realize was there so for example you've got your obvious you've got your website you've got your social media you know you've got your like review sites for example but then you kind of do get a little bit deeper and you've got your influencers that are mentioning you you've got user generated content that are mentioning you other brands that are mentioning you you've got um you know forums um uh, you know and then it's kind of like this thing that just continues to grow and grow and grow, and you just cannot look at everything. So I think you have to prioritize. And I feel like it's the same with, you know, the integration piece. You have to prioritize what is going to have the biggest impact. I think it's important to be aware of everything and monitor everything just to see if there's any new avenues bubbling up that's actually important to your customer base that you haven't realized um you know has become you know a pretty um you know decent contributor to influence but i i think that if you were to try and just focus on everything all at once you would just be stifled by the amount of things to focus on so i think it's about looking at right where are my buyers and what influences them? And they might not necessarily be where you think it is. Um, you know, there's some communities, some business communities out there that are massive on Reddit, for example. And you can get huge influence by being on, on Reddit. You have to have a totally different strategy for that than um, a typical. It's almost like you can't be a marketer on Reddit, right? You have to take a completely different stance. Um, but that, you know, it, it, you have to look at where are your audience, not where do you think your audience are, where do you think they, you, you know, they um, will, where do you think you want to convey, convey your message, where are they, and then prioritise those um, those avenues, um, doing it all at once. It's just mind blowing. It's, it's funny, isn't it, mentioning Reddit, it's not necessarily one of the... Um... The social media that, that spring to mind when we discuss social media, that sort of thing. So yeah, it's, I, I had no idea there was such a huge community over there. So so going back to that, then how what things can you put in place to ensure that you are prioritising and making sure you're going to the right places? Then um, I think Phil, we'll, we'll come back to you for that one. Um, well, the, the, I guess the starting point has always got to be your data. Um, Every decision that, that that I always preach people should make is, is got to be driven in in the initial data, and that's got to start 
yeah, your, your Google Analytics or whatever analytics package you're using is going to be a good source. You will start to see some patterns as to, on a granular level, it's always going to be organic search is going to be a big thing. And it's, but it's then looking at what sort of keywords. And when you start to analyze those keywords and pull them out, you can start to identify other channels and other sites and other resources that are going to be featured in those some of those niche areas. And that takes a lot of time. It's, it's a lot of effort to be able to do so, but the results can be very, very good. But yeah, the advice I would always give is, is always start with that data point and try and then work your way out by profiling your personas as best you can. And I don't just mean very generic, you know, Bill's in his late 40s and married with four kids and everything like that. That's totally irrelevant. It's got to be about the way I behave and the way I want to buy in regard to your specific type of product or service that you're offering. Once you've worked that out, it's then not too hard to be able to go and see what other sort of things I might be interested in, where else I might be hanging out. And I think LinkedIn is another very good source of data. And actually, Facebook, you can get a lot of good uh, lookalike data on Facebook. And again, I think if you start to grandly work out from the data points that we do know, which is invariably going to be your GA, work outwards, then you can start to build a fairly good picture. Carol, any alternative methods or is it a similar story to you with, uh, as Phil there? Um, yeah, I think similar. Sorry, I think possibly also a nod to what Lila said in the sense of, you know, it's been very easy to focus on all the infrastructure points and the tech stack and all the proliferation of things. And I think for me, it's to a degree, I was going to say having a Ferrari, but probably these days you should say having a Tesla that, that you can only drive at like 20 miles an hour is no fun, like you wouldn't want to do that. And so I think for this technology and architecture and everything you want to do, that you want you know to get those results you have to match it with significant data and also human enablement across the business to understand to utilize that data and um, to know how you can kind of use those people to use the right skills to employ it what measurement approaches in in place to really tell what that innovation and success is and i think that that data the measurement the human enablement and prioritization is probably the the areas that i think really mean that any investment you know ends up being realized for the business so just on that then, so how have you structured your, your, your teams to, to meet increasing demand? Um, so we're actually in that, that activity right now. Our business is kind of, I guess, termed as a scale-up, I suppose. So we've, we've invested, we had a, a large number of people last year. I think it was actually over 300 people that Canonical have went to and, you know, hoping to do a similar thing this year. So we're, we're really growing the teams and looking at, you know, making a lot of mistakes as we build the business and as we build teams but you know looking at where we where we have gaps where we have needs for people where we have you know data where we can see growth and we really really need to staff that up so I've spent a lot of time in the last year really building out a, a big demand gen and field marketing function but also match with kind of a good strong product marketing team to make sure that we do have those storytelling and those use cases and the value propositions that then we can take to the take the teams to market um, and also we've we've invested, I've not personally managed it, but we've invested a lot in our customer success activities, you know, taking customers through the upsell and the journey. And also the web design team look after our website more or less. But, you know, they've been doing a huge amount in testing user research and making sure that we're really, really kind of, I guess, upskilling in that sense. So almost every area, but, but definitely kind of building as much as we can with the capacity and resources and, and prioritization. You do have to eventually 
find things that you can't do and and that's always kind of a, a trade-off and a, a way of kind of looking you know what's the impact what's the end result what's the highest business value how quickly can we do things so we're always constantly kind of every day making trade-offs and having to see where we invest things i'm very excited that we call you slap bang in the middle of uh <laughs> going through that yourself now um i'll go <laughs> to tom with the same question and then lila so again how have you structured your your digital teams to meet increasing demand yeah, we, we work with a lot of medium-sized companies, right? Uh, medium-sized B2B companies. They usually have large sales teams, uh, small marketing teams, okay budgets, and a tech stack that's very limited and um, lots of opportunity to improve and grow. So if I could have my way and I could structure the team, I, I would I would encourage them to beef up the marketing. Uh, they the, the need for better demand generation, better content marketing, better social media marketing on these B2B sites and within these B2B companies is, is so great that they could have at least one to three full-time staff members just creating content and it would do them a, a lot of favors. And it, it would produce a lot of leads that could then be handed off to the sales team. Um, as you guys know and everybody listening knows. So I think being able to, to pump up and beef up the, the marketing team is a good start. And I think that they need to really, really treat their tech stack a lot more seriously and give that a better budget Phil uh, equated a website with being the best salesperson on the team. And that's, we've heard that before and it's a really, really great example. And I would even go one step further in saying, you know, other types of software should and can also be acting as additional salespeople as well. And if you can carve out your tech stack budget to be completely separate from your sales and or marketing budget, that's really the way to go. So that way you're not fighting for those dollars and it's not going to be, you know, stealing budget away from the sales marketing team. And of course, you need to consider what you're doing for outsourced vendors, like an agency like myself, uh, freelancers, other types of, of boutique services, design, videography, uh, ghostwriting and copywriting, whatever it is that you don't feel you can get done in-house. There's lots of good services out there that you can complement your in, internal uh, teams with to make sure that you're getting the job done. So there's lots of different moving parts with, with thinking through the team. It's not just who's on my marketing team, who's on my sales team, let's get the job done. There's there's lots of things that need to be working in tandem with one another. And I think that uh, both the technology and your outsource uh, partners need to be considered. It's all about the cohesion. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Lila, we'll come to you on that one as well then. Digital teams, what have you done to structure it? So I might have a bit of a controversial one here in that um, over the course of the pandemic, so we, we, as a department within our marketing department, we've got about 60 team members, something like that, and everyone was working on different propositions. We had a digital team. Um, and then towards the back end of last year, I was like, if everything is digital, why do you need a digital team? You make everyone focused on digital it's just what everyone does and everyone focuses on different aspects of digital different strategies that sort of thing um, and that's how we've restructured our team recently this year in fact is we don't have a digital team anymore everything is digital um, and, every, and even Phil, you were mentioning trade shows um, before, but and I love a trade show. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a big in-person event fan, um, and, and and trade shows have been really important to our proposition, or, or you know, in the in the past as they still are. In fact, we've got we're at uh, Digital Marketing World Forum today, um, and um, uh, but it's not a, it's no longer just an offline experience. 
there's before the event the actual event itself is online you know there's people tweeting and posting about that event right now um, and then there'll be digital experiences about that event afterwards as well and so even when it comes to something that is around in-person experiences there's still a need to have a digital um, footprint associated with that event and I, I genuinely think that if everything is digital, then everyone should focus on your various different strategies associated with, um, you know, with your digital landscape. And they need the tools to be enabled to do so as well. I just wanted to mention, because we've talked about how vast um, the landscape can be, but there's amazing tools out there. So I'll use some examples just so that we're giving a few specific tips to people. So we use Media Toolkit, for example, to spot where we're being mentioned, that we don't know about, <laughs> um, you know, where else are we being mentioned? Um, and how can we engage with that? Is that, is that has that got good following? Um, is that something we can capitalize on? Like, I, I have no association with Media Toolkit, by the way, but I just realized what they do. Um, Ahrefs, we use them, same thing, to find out where we're being mentioned that we don't know about. And Ahrefs obviously give you a whole loads of all information. Others are available. Hootsuite obviously tracks our, um, you know, social interactions. And obviously we use um, eForensics and Webio as well. Um, but I just wanted to give a few pieces of software out there, just a couple that really can help with the enablement of looking and, and monitoring at that digital landscape. I mean, yeah, as brand awareness manager, I, I can't sing who sweets praises enough. I completely agree with you on that one. There's a fantastic bit of kit, but hashtag ad. Um, okay, so... <laughs> or not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, never mind, Dave. tip from you today what is your ultimate digital digital frustration tip it's a big I, one to I, end on isn't i it? have a few, yeah i always have a few things like it, it's hard to limit it to just to just one uh key takeaway um i'll go with this one though because maybe uh the others will will say some of the others that my mind you're seeing this this big movement right now around uh demand generation which in, in my opinion, is just kind of the, the new way of describing content marketing. Um, very, very important, right? You you want to create content. You want to create demand for your your product, for your brand, for your services, and ultimately generate more inbound leads, inbound success. But I think some folks that are big proponents of this movement have have this expectation that that inbound is the only way. That inbound should become a hundred percent of your your activity and your your lead generation which I, I think is false i think it's a false narrative and i don't think that that's really ever going to be the case at least for 99 percent of companies out there 
if if that were the case, then it would warrant salespeople extinct. Uh, and I don't think that that's really ever going to happen. So I think that that B2B companies really need a, a healthy balance between inbound and outbound activity. And they need to get a lot smarter with their outbound activity. We're seeing companies really, really using uh, LinkedIn sales nav and just LinkedIn in general much more cleverly and much more strategically. We're seeing uh, sales folks lean on companies like Lead Forensics and Webio. We're a partner, so I got to give them a plug. And it's been really, really beneficial to our clients to be able to have that that insight. And it really turns all forms of cold outreach into at least warm outreach. And that makes a, a big, big difference. And it's still outbound activity. It's still sales activity. This isn't inbound activity. They certainly complement one another, but there still is a need for outbound and it's, the thing that's changing is just how you go about it. And, and people are going about it in a, a much more strategic and methodical way than they did even just a few years ago. And I think it's it's making a big difference for the, the company and the salespeople that are doing it right. It's insightful stuff, Tom. <laughs> you wizard. Bill, uh, we'll come to you. Same question. One final takeaway for everybody watching here today. Uh I think it's just just to go over some of the points that have been made. It's just if everyone can can just go back to their desk tomorrow morning and try and look at your website from your customer's perspective, does it actually really say why you're great and why they should care? There's a very simple test you can do yourself, which is just the, the why should I care test and just read through it and just say what. Why should I care about that? Why should I care about that? And if you have a lot of why should I cares on your website, then it needs refinement. Most of what you'll see in terms of what you can gain from doing any kind of conversion rate optimization, 80% of it will be in copy. Everyone thinks about UX and changing stuff around and changing colors of CTAs and everything else. No, 80% of it is copy. And the best thing you can do and yeah, I'm going to do it as well, is you need to personalize that experience because then you can actually tailor the value proposition to the people coming to your website, right? So that makes a lot of sense. So tools like Lead Forensics and Webio do offer that ability to refine your value proposition even further, refine that copy even further to make it super targeted. And it saves people several clicks because, yeah, you can put an industry page on your website and you could get there eventually from the homepage and that's fine. But why do that when you can just put it all on the homepage? Value proposition is king in B2B, B2C, whatever kind of marketing you're doing. You have to succinctly say why people should care, why people should give you their time. And yeah, personalize it because it makes a lot more sense. If you make it relevant to them, their job title, their industry, their size of company, whatever it is, then it's going to be far more successful. To have your elevator pitch right on the door just to be absolutely clear. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Carol, <laughs> one final takeaway from you, please. I'm going to equally probably fail to give you just one final takeaway, um, along with everyone else, yeah. but, so I might as well join, join the trend. Um, so I think I completely agree with, with both of you so far, and I think for me it's, it's absolutely prioritised the perspective of the customer, what they need now, what they want next. Everything you know that they need is kind of beyond and over and above everything. It's facilitated by you know amazing demand generation strategy, by great content and storytelling and copywriting, with clear value propositions, with that personalised, relevant, timely experience. All of that 
you know, it's all super important, but unless it's about the customer, then it just doesn't really matter anymore. People, it just has to be, I think, for me. And I think as marketers, we kind of have to do this constant blend of art and science. Like we're almost like the perfect balance of, of humans. You've got to use data, but respect the craft of storytelling. You've got to tread this fine line between brand marketing, performance marketing. You want to quantify everything, but you can't quantify everything because it's not possible. You know, there's all these journeys happening all over the place. So I think it's like, almost being, you know, understanding what you want to centralize, what you want to make bespoke, what becomes best as an ABM campaign. Like we're just balancing so many things. And I think these new marketing truths kind of embody the confluence of these strategies of operations, technology, how you drive growth in this kind of post-COVID, you know, digitally advanced world is is exciting and challenging. And it's kind of, for me, places marketing is such a strategic advantage. And as you were saying earlier, in investing in marketing teams for small businesses. And you know, I do, obviously, as a marketer, believe in that. Um, so slightly biased answer in that sense. But I think, you know, even at this huge time of flux, we've got an amazing kind of opportunity. And, you know, as I said, the, the critical truth is just to place that perspective of the customer at the center of everything you're trying to do. And, you know, it puts you in the right path. And it's kind of one of those final goals we always sort of have a tick off in our team of, you know, is the customer first? Is it important? Is it relevant? You know, and then you, you have kind of a great way to, to look forward. So. So I see like your point about it, it's sort of you know a blend of art and science that struck a particular chord with me. I really enjoyed that. Thank you very much, Carol. Lila. Thank you. One big what? takeaway what? from you, please. What? If you Just can limit what? yourself to one. Uh, <laughs> I, no, I haven't. Well, I've still got one, but it might be a little bit uh, all over the place. Um, oh, la, la. I just love what Carol just said there, that think about what the buyer wants now and next. I am stealing that, Carol, because that is just gold right there. Because I think you're right. And the point that I was going to make, which segues really nicely into that, is it's about that experience, that holistic experience. Um, so look at the experience that you're giving your buyers before they land on your website. When they first hear about you, what does that look like? Whether it's on social, whether it's on forums, whether whether it's on SEO, whether it's on review sites, what, do they, what are they seeing of you? When they're on your site, what are they learning about you that benefits them? And then once they leave your site, what experience are you giving them after their visit as well? Um, that is so important to understand that journey and try it. I, I think, Phil, your, your thing of um, sort of saying, at your desk tomorrow, how about I think about this? I've also got another thing. Try it yourself. Try, because I guarantee that so many marketers don't try their own processes. Go and test your web chat. Go and test what happens on your social media. Go and see what happens when you look at a, a review site or onto a forum or when you go and read an article, you know, a piece of content that you've published, what happens on that CTA. Go and look at it and see whether it meets your needs as someone in the know associated with the brand. And I guarantee that you'll find something that's broken. I guarantee it. Um, and, if, and then when you're thinking about that, that's the journey, that, that's the experience that you're giving people. So the before, before they visit your website, so, you know, they're just getting used to your brand. Think about the experience that you're giving them for that. When they're on your site, what experience are you giving them there? And then after they've left your site, whether they've converted or not, at that point in time, what experience are you giving them then of your brand as well? And I think if you can nail the experience that you're giving, I think you're on the, the right course. It definitely makes sense, doesn't it? To, to go and, you know, make sure your Zen desk is all lining up and going through to our place and everything and stuff like that. So, uh, guys, I think we're 
we're just about out of time. This has been a, a fantastic little chat. Thanks everybody for uh, for joining, and um, we'll see you again for the next Leave Friends webinar.